am not one of those people that do well with occasions, you know? Uh, like Christmas, I always wrestle with, what do you, what do you preach on about Christmas? I, I know, preach about, you know, Christ coming to earth. I mean, but, and, and New Year's is another deal. You know, we've traditionally done something here about uh, either the vision of the church or a way to start the new year. And I, I just got to confess something to you. I, I, I'm just not into New Year's resolutions. I am, I am not a goal-oriented person at all. <laughs> I mean, I want world peace. That's my goal, you know? So how do you do that in 2004? How do you, how do you create that kind of environment? Or, you know, I want everybody to be healthy and everybody to be, everything to be right. And, and how do you do that? And, you know, I don't have those kind of, okay, this year I'm going to do this and just not that kind of person. So New Year's is, I, I don't want to lie to you and say, here's what we're going to have as a goal. <clears throat> but with all that said, here's what we're going to have as a goal. For 2004, that's not really, that's not true. I was talking to uh, Stan Oster. We went skiing together. He uh, took his oldest boy, uh, Matthias, and I took my oldest boy, David, and we went skiing over at Afton Alps on, on New Year's Day. That's a great time to go skiing. There's not a lot of people early in the morning. I'm not sure why. <clears throat> no one was there. It was like empty. We just had the place to ourselves. And we had a great time, and I was talking to Stan about uh, New Year's and what kind of things he likes to think about, and he says, you know, this year, and Stan is a goal-oriented person. If you know Stan, he's just very goal-oriented. This year I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this with the family, and oh, I want him to rub off on me. This is great. But he's saying, this year uh, I, I want to personally work on being a person who is thankful. Because I think being thankful will keep you from being bitter. Because he's got some family situations he was describing where there's some, there's some bitterness going on. And he says, I don't want to be like that. I want to be a person who's actually thankful for everything I've got. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, wow, I, I guess I'd always figured that the, the opposite of bitterness was forgiveness. You know? I thought, well, not to be bitter, you should just let it go and forgive. But like, thankfulness is like, the next step past just forgiving someone. You know, obviously the key to, to bitterness is, is letting it go. You have somebody that you're bitter, you have a situation that you're bitter or a person or whatever, someone who's wronged you, and in order to get over the bitterness, you have to forgive. How do you forgive? You let them off the hook. You let it go. You literally say, and I have to do this, I have to literally say these words, Lord, I release X for why? Or whatever they did. I release them. And sometimes I have to do it over and over. And you're probably thinking, wait a minute. Uh, no way. I'm not going to release somebody that easily. Look what they did to me. They really hurt me. They really did something to me. I'm, no way. I can't let them off the hook that easily. And if you stop and think about it, who's on the hook? Are they on the hook living across the country in San Fernando Valley out there? Are they, oh, man, I'm so stressed out that I offended them? They're not even thinking about it. It's you. You're the one who's on the hook. you got all this bitterness and anger and unforgiveness. And to say, you know what, I'm going to release them. I'm going to let it go. Yes. Yes, they wronged me. By the way, it is impossible to forgive someone who hasn't wronged you, right? Huh? They have to have wronged you in order for you to forgive them. Now, take it the next step and say, Lord, I'm thankful 
Not that this rotten thing happened or that this person offended me or whatever, but I'm thankful that you're going to use this situation in my life. There's a verse in Ephesians 5, verse 20, that says, Paul says, he says, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. Everything means, you don't have to go to seminary to figure this out, everything means everything. Everything. Always giving thanks for everything in the name of God, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so Stan got me thinking New Year's Day, and I said, you know what? Let's talk about starting out 2004 with an attitude of gratitude. An attitude that will say, you know what? I'm going to look at this year, and no matter what it is, I'm going to have that kind of attitude that says, I'm going to always give thanks for it. I'm not just going to complain and moan about everything that happens. I'm going to look at it and say, Lord, I don't necessarily like this situation, but you're going to use it, and I trust you. Ultimately, when you complain and moan about everything, ultimately you're telling God, God, you're the one who messed up. You messed up in causing this situation to happen in my life. And instead, and to flip that around, and instead to say, you know, this, this year, I want to be a person who says, God, I do not get this, but you do, and you're worthy of my trust. I want to thank you. How do you develop that? I'm not exactly sure, but I want to start us on a journey this morning on how you develop a thankful heart. How you develop an attitude of gratitude. This is no one message, oh great, I'm fixed kind of deal. But I think there's some things we could look at that will start to help us to develop this attitude. So if you want to look on, I'm going to look at uh, Colossians chapter 3. We're going to hone in on three verses, but i got to read them in context in order for you to understand them. So Colossians chapter 3, you can either flip open a Bible around you, or you can look at that fancy insert that was there that has the whole passage, or you can just look on the screen, whatever, whatever works for you. So Colossians chapter 3. And I'm really going to just focus on verses 15 to 17, but, but I've got to read this one in context, otherwise you just won't, uh, you won't get the impact of what, of what he's really talking about. Starting in verse 1. <clears throat> he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. You know, if, if you got your Bible with you, not if you have a pew Bible, but if you have your Bible with you and you're one of those underlining types, this is a passage to underline, especially verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. That is the great Christian secret. You want to know how to live the Christian life? It's right there. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your minds, set your hearts on things above. And then it says, set your minds, in verse 2, on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who, who is your life, appears, then you also appear with him in glory. You know, so often you, you've maybe been told you need to get your heads out of the clouds. This passage says you need to keep your heads in the clouds. That's where it needs to be. You need to think about who you are in Christ and what he is. And if he is all to you, 
everything will start to change. Everything will start to change. As Jesus Christ becomes all to you, your life will completely change. You will set your minds on the awesomeness of Christ. You'll look at a cross that's dangling from someone's neck and you'll start to tear up. You'll realize that my Jesus loved me enough to save my, what's it called again? My sins, what's it called again? My sin sick, my sin sick shriveled up soul. Thank you, Hamlet and I have a phrase we use and I can never remember it. Christ loved me enough to do that for me. That he would die for me. You start to celebrate things like, like uh, Christmas and you realize that, you know, it, it used to stand for, uh, for Jesus, the man who came to save our next. Now it stands for Santa Claus. You spell it with an X to, to quote Larry Norman there. But you'll, you'll look at it and you'll say, this is about God Christ, the, the awesome one, coming to earth to save my neck. It'll change your life when you set your minds on things above. Okay, this is not my main point, so I can't move on. Uh, <clears throat> verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Now, he says, put those things to death. Just stop there for a second. Put those things to death. All these lists of stuff. And he doesn't say, oh, I'm trying to take all your fun away. He's saying, no, I'm trying to take your false god away. Look at that last phrase, which is idolatry. All this stuff that you're chasing after, the sex, the impurity, the lust of your eyes, the evil desires, the greed for more, just so I can have more, either or cars or money or possessions or, or, or jobs or whatever it is. He says, all that stuff is idolatry. If you worship it, and it'll, it's empty. I'm not trying to take away your fun. Paul's not saying, I'm trying to take away fun. No, he's trying to give you fun. He says, put that stuff to death. That stuff is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in, your, in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbian, barbarian, a Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Don't do that stuff. Why? Because it is inconsistent with who you are. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's not just a worldview. There's something that has happened to you. It says in the first part of that that you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's who you are. Don't live by this empty stuff because it doesn't satisfy. It will never satisfy you. I noticed that when I gave my life to Jesus Christ as a freshman at the University of Minnesota. The stuff that I did before that I really thought was cool, when I would do that again, it didn't satisfy me anymore. This is empty nothing there anymore. Put that stuff to death. Don't live that way. So if you're not going to do that stuff, what do you do? Verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You want to live life to its fullest? If you're married and you want a, just an awesome marriage, 
Here's how you do it. You clothe yourselves with compassions, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You, you get involved in people's lives that are messy. And you know what? I'm sorry, but every one of you here are messy. I am a mess. You're a mess. We're all a mess. Sounds like a song. You want to write a song to that, Tim? Yeah. The, the, you, but then you bear with each other. You forgive each other. I'm more in love with my wife now than the day I married her. But she knows me, and I, I hope that's true the other way around. I, <laughs> we'll talk after. <laughs> but she knows me. I have shared with her some of my weaknesses. And I see her, I see her disappointment in her eyes when she hears about my weaknesses, and yet she loves me, and she loves me too much to leave me there. You want to live a real life, it's right there. And above all these virtues, put on love. Okay. That's the stuff you do. That's all my introduction. Now, verse 15 is where I really want to go. With all that as kind of a context of what's happening, Paul says this to them. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I think this passage is a start on how to develop a heart that is a grateful heart. A heart that is a thankful heart. I just want to pull three things out of here. They're really the, the three commands that Paul is, is telling you to do here. And just say, I think if we start to do these, like, like, uh, like seeds that take in your lawn when you seed the lawn and the, the uh, grass starts to come up and then the dog walks over and kills it anyway. But this will last because the dog won't walk on it. I'm speaking from personal experience here. Um, we cannot grow grass if our life depended on it. But this, this, this will start to give that, the seedlings will start to come up. Three things. First thing. Verse, and each, one of them in each verse. Verse 15. First thing I think is, is the peace of Christ is the foundation for a thankful heart. Let the peace of Christ absolutely rule your life. Now it's really interesting here. If you look at that word rule, there's a bunch of different words Paul could have used for the word rule. He doesn't use the word that would be like um, a commander or a king saying, this is live under the rule of Christ's peace. He uses the word that's more like a judge or an umpire. He says, let the peace of Christ be the umpire in your life. Let the peace of Christ be that which calls things safe or out. Let that be the thing that defines you. You know how an umpire, he's the one who calls the game, and he's the one who knows the rules of the game. So when you play a game, say like baseball, and, and you hit a ball and it goes outside the lines, it's a foul ball. And he should, being a good umpire, will call it a foul ball. Let the peace of Christ be that umpire. The hardest thing about the Christian life is letting Christ be your umpire, always. So many other things want to creep in and say, dude, why don't I just change the rules here a little bit, and I'll be your umpire. 
You can just fill in the blank with whatever you're struggling with. Whether it's money, if you don't have any, you're thinking, oh, if I just had money, then I'd be happy. Then I'd be satisfied. Look at any billboard, any billboard, and that billboard tells you this. I don't care what the product is. If I just had blank, then I'd be happy. Now, don't, if you make billboards, I'm not trying to, that's, you know, maybe it is good to have a new whatever. That's a good thing. I, I'm not trying to, billboards are good things. Don't, don't get me wrong. Uh, but the point is that I can so easily turn that on and say, if I just had this, I'd be happy. If I just had a girlfriend or a boyfriend, or if I just were married, or if I just had kids, or if I just had grandkids, or if I just had a bank account, or if I just had a pension, all those things you can let be your umpires. Saying, if I just blank, then, I, then everything, you're letting that be the thing that defines you. And Paul says here, don't let those things rule you. You don't have to let those rule you anymore. Let the peace of Christ rule you. The three, you can see the three kinds of peace that he's talking about in this passage. The first thing he says is internal peace. He says, let the peace of Christ rule where in your hearts, in those internal struggles as you go through life. Let Christ be such a point in your life that as all those struggles come up, you let, it, you let Christ give you that kind of peace. It's an internal peace. When the whole world is caving around you, Christ gives you that kind of peace. When all these things are tempting you around there, Christ gives you that kind of peace. Then there's the external peace. He says, for um, you are called together to live as one body. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. So you're supposed to be at peace with one another in this room. We have an annual meeting coming up. We've had seven annual meetings. We have yet to have a fist fight. So I guess that's a good thing. We've yet to have any real major disagreements. We have went seven years in this church without a major, major brouhaha. It has been a good thing. We are called to live that way. That doesn't mean we're not going to have differences of opinion. That's a good thing. If we all just agreed on everything, we'd never get the best thing accomplished. Uh, you know, like putting carpet down. Eight of us went and looked at the different kinds of carpet, and amazingly, the cheapskates of us won. <laughs> said, this is $4 a yard. This is great. Everybody else went, oh, then we could get fancy carpet for the stage. And we all said, sounds great. It was amazing how that meeting went. God was very present at that carpet store. <laughs> I, I was really, I don't know why, we kept using the color of the carpet as the thing we thought we were going to have such a problem with. And, wouldn't you say, Marine, that was just this in and out deal. I mean, it was like, wow, that went easy. Let's go solve a Middle East problem or something. <laughs> we are called as a body to live in peace. That doesn't mean bringing up a difference of opinion. It does, however, mean bringing up a difference of opinion and saying, would you consider this? And then if they say, I have considered that and I don't agree anymore, then you say, thank you. But that's it. I'm going to leave it like that. Then there's eternal peace because he says you were called, you were called, you were called to live in peace. And that means between you and God. If you, if you stop and think about it, if you understand the message of Christ and that he says that I've come here to save your neck and if you put your hope in me, you can live your life knowing, knowing that on that day when you meet me face to face, you'll be declared not guilty. Not because you're a great guy or a great girl, but because I have died for you and you're going to get in based on my 
life, my righteousness, and I'm going to forgive your sin. If you understand that message, there's something within you that's very peaceful. If you've come to a point in your life where you've trusted Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you have peace in your life that other people don't. You maybe don't even think about it. Maybe you've been a follower of Christ for 30 years and you don't even think about, wow, you know, I guess I'm, oh sure, I'm not looking forward to death in the sense that that might be a, you know, might hurt. But I'm not worried. It's going to be a 10-foot drop. It's not going to be a 1,000-foot drop. People who don't have that hope in Christ are scared to death of meeting God face-to-face. -face. I know I was. I was scared to death of meeting God face-to-face. You have eternal peace with Christ. So the first thing is a thankful heart is rooted. The foundation of it is the peace of Christ, that you let it umpire your life. The second thing is verse 16. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The second thing is that a thankful heart's mindset is formed by the Word of God. Your life will be transformed as you study and apply and meditate and talk about and memorize God's Word. You, I just, you just will. Your life will be changed. I have seen it over and over and over again. I see it in our interns this year as they're going through the whole Old Testament. We're done with major portions of it already. And I can just watch before them. Their, their view of God has changed. It's something that will change the rest of their lives. When you go through a Mark study and you've seen Jesus, and you know, no offense here, Hamlet, but there's no like, wow, there's some amazing interpretations here I never thought of before. It, you know, no offense, but it's just the Bible and you're just reading it. And, and, but you just go, wow, I've never taken that amount of time to just ponder who Jesus was and, and, and what he did, why he did what he did, and talk about it in a group. Your life has changed. This last year, I, a year ago, I told you I'm not very goal-oriented, but I, last year I put it as a goal to read through the Bible as in a year. I didn't make it. What does it matter? <laughs> It doesn't matter. I spend more time in the Bible this year than I have in years and years before. And I will finish. I don't know when, but I will finish. I'm, I'm about here in, in October. Something like that. I told you that many times. Don't get caught up in the little checkboxy thing. Some of you like checkboxies. But I printed these out again. They're on, the, they're on the book table here. If you'd like one, take one. They're free. Uh, it, it's a 12-month it's a plan. I love this plan because they got you reading in four parts of the Bible at once. Just little chunks going through. And you read a gospel uh, every, every day. You're reading in Proverbs or Psalms every day. You're reading in the Old Testament uh, every day. And you're reading uh, uh, somewhere in the New Testament every day. Just kind of shorter, shorter pieces. And they give you, they're people like me, they only give you 25 days per month. So you get six days to kind of catch up. Uh, so, and I'm like, I need, I need three months to catch up. But if you make it in a year, that's great. I'm, I'm good for you. If you don't, so what? Use two years. Use three years. I don't care. It changes your life. It, it changes your life. Grab one of these. I don't care how, how you do it. Get God's word in your life. It says, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Think about that word dwell for a minute. Let the word dwell in your house. 
I've had a lot of people live in our house. We've had, we've had people stay there from one night all the way to two, three years. We've had different people living in our house. Uh, many of you have lived in our house at one time or another. But even if they live there two or three years, I wouldn't say that they dwell there. I'd say they're, they're, they're guests of ours, you know. They have their room and maybe a few things out and about, but they really don't dwell there. Dwelling there is where if they want to, they come home with a can of pink paint and decide to paint pink polka dots all over the living room wall. I would kill any one of you if you did that when you lived at my house. <laughs> so you don't dwell there. You are a visitor there. You are a guest there. A dweller gets to change stuff if he wants because he so or she so resides there. Is the word of God a visitor in your life or is the word of God a, a dweller in your life? Is the word of God something that could come in and change, do, hey, you know, let's do, let's do the pink polka dots. And you go, okay, you're just as much a dweller here as I am. Go for it. Or is it a guest where you look at it and you say, well, I've let you in, but hey, don't let the door hit in the butt on the way out. You know, you're just a guest here. Which is it? Are you letting the word of God dwell in you and you just go, go ahead, change it. It's all yours. Third thing, verse 17, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the, the Father through him. A thankful heart's feet is displayed by all kinds of actions and deeds. You got the foundation, which is the peace of Christ. You got the mindset, which is the word of Christ dwelling in you richly. And then you got the feet of this thankful heart, which just goes out and just does things. Words and deeds. And just says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do these things. Even routine things. One of my favorite examples of this is, is Ruth Graham. She's one of my heroes. Billy Graham's uh, wife, Ruth Graham. One of my favorite things is totally irrelevant to this, but it's just so great, i got to say it. Ruth Graham, when they asked once, if you ever, you know, because it was hard to be married to Billy. He was traveling a lot, and all these things were going on, and he didn't have time to deal with the family affairs and different things. And, and the, Ruth Graham, later in life, was asked, were, did you ever consider divorcing Billy? She said, divorce? No. Murder? Yes. Um, <laughs> but uh, she had a sign over her kitchen sink that said, divine services held here three times a day. You can wash dishes to the glory of God. You can prepare a meal for someone to the glory of God. Whatever you do, whatever you do, wearing a blue shirt on a Sunday, whatever you do, bringing someone to church or just driving to church or just brushing your teeth. I'm not exactly sure how you brush your teeth to the glory of God, but you figure that out and email me. You, there, there are, you can do everything, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can do it. Now look at the result. Look at how this thing's sprinkled here. Go to the next slide there. Everyone look at that. It says, you are called to peace and be thankful. Singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs as you let the word of Christ dwell in you, it's with gratitude. And it says, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks. If you start to let those things happen in your life, you really let those things, you will start to become a person. You will start to become a person who has an attitude of gratitude, who has an attitude that says, God, thank you. 
Thank you for the next breath I'm going to take. Thank you for every person I know I have a relationship with. Thanks for all the things you do for me. This year for Christmas, I had a great Christmas. Um, I opened one package. Wait, I, that's not true. I opened two, didn't I? I got Altoids, too, didn't I? I got, what was the other one? I didn't get anything for Christmas. I didn't get nothing for Christmas. It was great. Carol and I talked about we're going to get each other a lamp, so we're good there. But I, I didn't want anything. I really did. I just didn't want it. I'm trying to get into this simplicity thing, you know. And, and uh, I just had a great heart. Now, five years ago, I'd probably be like, hey, what up? You know, something coming this way, you know. <laughs> but I really enjoyed, I just enjoyed watching the kids and, and I just enjoyed not getting. And I can have a thankful heart. It's a God thing. I'm not exactly sure how he changed me from being somebody who wants a lot of stuff. I didn't. 2004, or however you want to define the time period, could be a period where you could develop that kind of heart to put away some of the cynicism or bitterness or anger and say, Lord, I'm thankful. There's some three steps here that you can, you can take to start to develop that journey. I don't, it's just a start of how you could develop a thankful heart. Let's pray together. God, I so don't want to be a bitter old man. And as I have met so many people who have been involved in people's lives over the years, I've seen lives get hurt, and I've seen pastors and others who are involved with others turn into bitter people. And God, would you protect myself? Would you protect this church and every person in it from a heart of bitterness? And, and Lord, would you flip that around not only to forgiveness, God, we want to go past forgiveness to thankfulness. We want to be people who are thankful to you and just see you involved in every single thing. So, Lord God, we just pray this year that you would allow the peace of Christ to dwell in our hearts, that, that it, would, it would be something that is our umpire. God, would you even give us the power to have us make the peace of Christ our umpire? I know that's something commanded we're to do, but would you even do that for us? Lord, too, would you let your word this year dwell in us richly through our Bible studies and through our personal time through our hearing messages and scripture and song and every, every way possible, would the word of Christ dwell in us richly this year? And God, too, we just pray that in everything we do, we pray we'd be a, a church of action this year. That with our feet and with our hands and with our mouth, we would bring blessing to others. We'd do everything, do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God, just do that work in Everyone who's in this room right now and all the people in our church who aren't here, would you make us be people that are just eternally grateful to you? I pray this in Christ's name.